you know, the premise of most of my work is that the narrative we're using to, to describe our small towns is wholly negative. And when we use terminology like hollowing out the middle or the brain drain, it really plays into that negative narrative. Through our experiences, we've learned that a critical mass of leaders is really an essential foundation for anything that a community wants to do to move towards community vitality. Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Oxberry, Executive Director of WGA. This episode continues our series about reimagining the rural West, the chair's initiative of North Dakota Governor and WGA Chair Doug Bergen. Each episode of this series will focus on different aspects of the initiative, examining challenges and opportunities in rural economic development, infrastructure, and quality of life in the rural West. Today, WGA policy advisor Laura Cutlip is talking with sociologist Ben Winchester and rural development expert Jennifer Growth as they discuss strategies for reimagining rural communities and challenge the predominant narrative of life in the rural West. In the first episode of Out West, Governor Doug Burgum shared the goals of his initiative. In the opening months of the initiative, we've learned that each rural community has their own history, challenges, and vision for the future. We've also learned that what we think we know about rural communities might not be accurate. For example, you may have heard that rural towns are dying, that everyone is packing up and moving to urban areas, leaving behind a husk of bygone prosperity. Ben Winchester, a rural sociologist from the University of Minnesota Center for Community Vitality, says that narrative is largely false. You know, the premise of most of my work is that the narrative we're using to to describe our small towns is wholly negative. And when we use terminology like hollowing out the middle or the brain drain, it really plays into that negative narrative. And, uh, you know, I I don't want to dissuade the uh, folks from taking seriously the research the folks do in Hollowing Out the Middle book. Uh, But again, you look at the headline, Hollowing Out the Middle, you think uh, in that book is about losing your high school graduates. And you would think by that book title that, you know, when your high school kids leave, there's nobody left. When in essence, it's just, it doesn't really paint the broader picture of migration in and out of our small towns. So what we have very consistently found is there's been a pattern of people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s moving to our rural communities. This has been happening for decades, literally, um, but apparently it's new uh, when we start to talk about it these days. And what we find is that, yes, while there are communities that lose their young people, almost, nine, what, 98% of rural counties in this country gain people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So it is rural. Rural communities are destinations. Uh, you may not make up for the loss of the young people. So, for example, if you lose a hundred kids out of high school, but you only bring in eighty people, you're going to your population is going to go down by twenty. And that seems to be the headline: is the minus twenty, or the kids just left? Well. Uh, you just had 80 new people move in. Do you know who they are? Do you know where they work? Do you know what kind of jobs they have? Do you know uh, how they engage themselves civically? Do you know where they're from? Do you even know their names? So, in many ways, for me, it's just providing an opportunity to lift up the voices of new people in our small towns, because in many ways, these new people in our small towns have the best narrative of their community. So why do they want to live in the middle of nowhere? Winchester says that's not the right way to think of it. Yeah. And this is where I really use the term living in the middle of everywhere. You know, the whole negative narrative is I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, But on on this side, when we start to explore, uh, when you hand people a map, 
of, of your area. And I say a map of, you know, maybe centered on your home and going out maybe three hours from your house. And you ask people to draw maybe a star where they live and then draw an X where they work or an X where their spouse or partner may work. And it may not, in many cases, be in the same town. And then draw a circle around or an oblong shape around how far do you go out to shop and eat out. And now you're like, well, we go way up to the north and over to the east and not really to the south and a little bit to the west. And so you get this oblong kind of shape. And then the next question is, how far do you go out to play? And then you're like, well, geez, that park's like four hours away and we go there a couple times a year. And then you start naming off all of these things around you. So yes, we have shifted from towns being a one-stop shop and horse and wagon to having vehicles and living regional lives where we don't live and work and shop and play. And this has some profound effects in how we even talk about our place. So this becomes part of an exercise that we call living in the middle of everywhere. When we start to document the extent to which people have regional lives and live in these regional places. Winchester says that even those living in rural communities are susceptible to these stereotypes. A lot of times this negative narrative is, it, not only is it written about us, it's, we use it too. We use this narrative because, you know, we grow up in households that remember when we used to have a full Main Street. And our dad reminds us of that every week about this town isn't very much fun anymore. It doesn't look like it used to. Like, you know, yes, it's changed, but every place has changed. No place looks the same. Even the towns in the 40s and 50s you know, that, that appear to be the, this great period of time really is such a dramatic difference from what they had before then too. So, and it was their parents at the time were like, this doesn't look the same. You know, what, this place really is dying, right? Like it, everything dies when everything dies around you that you enjoy doing. But the fact of life is life changes. Like history changes, society changes. We are in a continual aspect of seasonal and episodic change that dominate and, and have impacts in all of our small towns. He adds that the changes we're seeing in rural communities have not only been stabilizing in recent decades, they've been positive. So while our communities, yes, may have gone through significant negative changes over the past 100 years, uh, they've really been stabilized for the past 30 years. And, and when we start to look around, we see all these people that don't look the same. They look different. They may have different skin color even besides just looking different. And so we the, the composition and complexion of our small towns has changed so significantly, but yet we still have very loud voices that remind us of when our towns used to be blank, and you can fill in the blank. Like you used to have a big manufacturer when we used to have you know, agriculture drive the economy, or we used to have blank, when you know, that's been gone for 60, 80 years. I mean, even the changes we've seen since I was born in 1970 like, have almost all been positive. My whole lifetime has been filled with positive trends in rural communities, yet the narrative is still dominated by things that happened before I was born, and I'm almost 50. So this is, for me, part and parcel of the, of the endurance that a negative narrative has on the population, not just being written about us, but we use it every day too. Like you get asked, you know, where do you live? Oh, I live in the middle of nowhere because you don't want to name off your town because they're not going to know where that town is. And then you start naming off other towns that are kind of close. But really, uh, again, I just, I really want to just provide information and knowledge for people that want to be able to talk about their towns in positive ways because uh, while on one hand, we do have struggles, we do have challenges, it cannot be just the struggles and challenges that define how we talk about our place. As Winchester notes, it's imperative to discard unhelpful narratives about rural communities to view what they offer from a new perspective. 
Jennifer Growth, Policy and Partnerships Manager at Rural Development Initiatives, or RDI, shares how that can be done. So for the last 27 years or so, RDI, Rural Development Initiatives, as we're known, has worked in pretty much every rural community in Oregon. And we've spent the last few years reaching into Washington State as well and a little bit into Idaho. So that's our reach. Uh, as we like to say, when you've uh, seen one rural community, you've seen one rural community. So uh, we want to emphasize that success looks different in different places, as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really all about uh, what we call place-based self-determination. We like to uh, support communities when they decide what their vision and goals are and help them get there. Growth explains that having a vision is just part of the process. Leadership is an essential next step. Uh, Through our experiences, we've learned that a critical mass of leaders is really an essential foundation for anything that a community wants to do to move towards community vitality. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have, in our experience, blanketed our leadership programs broadly over the geographic region. But in the last few years, what we're noticing is um, once we've set that foundation, really sustaining um, what the community wants to do requires a little more depth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have been layering programs on top of each other to try to uh, to build and continue that um, leadership, those leadership skills, so that um, folks can reach the goals that they that they are that they've set out for themselves. Mm-hmm. I can provide two different examples of um, six, what I what I d- would describe as success stories. One is in Ontario, Oregon, which is on the far eastern side of the state, right on the border with Idaho. Mm-hmm. We did some leadership training there, our flagship program, which is called Rural um, Community Leadership. There was a woman in the class who uh, wanted to know if she could uh, bring her son and include him in the training, and we arranged for that to happen. Um, Gustavo Morales was his name, and after he finished all of the sessions, he was really motivated and excited, which is, you know, our goal (laughs) to do something for his community, and subsequently went out essentially door to door for six to nine months to the Latinx community in Ontario to try to figure out what people's needs were, challenges, barriers, what they thought was, how they felt successful in terms of participating in the community. And he created a nonprofit called Uvalcree that has been wildly successful in meeting the needs of uh, that community and, and making sure that they're a part of the success of Ontario. According to Growth, these strong leaders also need to be good listeners, especially when it comes to ensuring that all community voices are heard. In terms of in individual communities, RDI's experience is that um, tribal and Latinx populations are disproportionately low income and not as well represented in the economy, mm-hmm. and they feel disconnected from their community. Um, so what we try to do is, as we deliver the programs, as we develop these steering committees that I mentioned, we really try to um, make sure that our outreach efforts are really inclusive and are specifically focused on communities that we don't think are as involved as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we are really careful about uh, making sure that this isn't just a token effort and that um, and that it's not just about having a seat at the table, which sounds sufficient, but it's not. I mean, we have to make sure that that these folks feel like they, they're thought partners and that they're part of the community where they live and that their opinions are respected and their interests are um, are represented. To illustrate that point, she discusses a few examples where RDI has had success. 
Um, also, I will mention, though, that RDI has uh, programs that are specifically targeted to Spanish-speaking populations um, in these communities. We have a leadership program in, that we offer in Spanish, um, and Pasos al Éxito, which is um, a financial literacy and starting a business program. Um, and we do... Over the years, we have done a lot of work uh, on reservations and in tribal communities. That's been great, I would say, great learning for us. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to integrating that into our programs um, better and moving forward so that we can make sure that those, those communities um, feel like they're part of what we're trying to do here. Developing rural leaders and providing training opportunities to an entire rural population isn't easy or cheap. Nevertheless, growth explains it's an important investment. So it is something of an uphill battle. I think leadership is, shall we say, fuzzy enough that it's hard to get people to fund it. It's much easier to get people to fund entrepreneurship and economic development, I will tell you. Um, but what we've found is if you go into a community where we haven't done that basic foundational training, it's just much harder to get the momentum going. It feels like an up, more of an uphill battle. I think some sometimes, and this is understandable, but sometimes um, people in, in rural places think that, that uh, leadership is just going to emerge organically, that the new crop of leaders will sort of identify themselves and, and come to the fore, and it'll be the next generation. But it really takes some work uh, to identify who those people might be, to, you know, do things like mentoring, um, you know, and, and get them involved in the community. It's not something that just happens without, with, with you as an sort of innocent bystander, if that makes sense. RDI's leadership investments in Oregon have had a snowball effect, magnifying the voices of all rural citizens in the region. We, we've created this tremendous network of rural leaders in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and honestly, we kind of just had our head down doing it for so long that we're kind of just saying now, how are we going to use that? Um, and this past year, we just for the first time started dipping our toe into the policy arena. And, and we had a particular issue in Oregon uh, where uh, a program that was designed to help rural entrepreneurship uh, was proposed to be cut. And so we sort of mobilized our rural network and were able to be effective in getting that money put back in the budget. And to be honest with you, I think we surprised ourselves a little bit um, because we really hadn't done anything like that before. But we are also surprised at how our network that we had created allowed us to mobilize people so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of looking now at next steps and saying in both Oregon and in Washington, how is it that we're going to um, – Maybe maybe more form maybe develop a more formal platform, um, maybe formalize this rural action network as we're calling it that we've created to make sure people understand that they're they belong to something, mm -hmm. and that they can be effective. Growth says the challenge almost always comes back to location, location, location. I think as we get more involved in um, policy work, we're beginning to understand that one of the big challenges in getting rural represented at a state level is their physical distance from the state capital. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, RDI can provide testimony or uh, can advocate on behalf of rural interests, but it doesn't, it's, it's no substitute for having people from the communities there. The challenge posed by physical location, however, can be overcome by strong leadership from citizens. Growth describes how RDI has supported rural leaders who choose to stick their necks out for their communities, making them feel more comfortable in their roles. 
RDI is taking sort of a two-pronged approach. We're trying to sort of gel this rural action network where we get people to speak to one another and sort of come, uh, you know, agree on these shared priorities. Mm -hmm. What we're also doing, though, is we're just piloting a program um, on the Oregon coast this fall. Um, uh, we're calling it the Rural Civic Engagement Project, which is essentially to one of the things we've heard a lot in rural communities, and I can speak to that personally being a formal small town city councilor, is that we have a lot of trouble. We call it um, uh, filling the bench. <laughs> so anytime there's an election, we're just scrambling for people to run and get involved. And I think that there's sort of this mystique um, in terms of people thinking about running for public office or getting more involved in local government. Mm -hmm. And we want to demystify that. Mm -hmm. And so this program is sort of bringing in um, experienced elected officials, local elected officials, state state level officials, and, and having them mentor and talk to um, emerging political leaders, which is sort of a, you know, a different subset than what, what, what we've been talking about. And so we're, we're excited to pilot this. We want to see how it goes. But I think our end goal is to try to get more people um, to understand the process and and even consider running for office because as as those of us who have been involved in government know it's like there are for some people there are stepping stones and they're more comfortable starting you know at a, at a local office and before they consider some kind of a statewide run as ben winchester and jennifer growth have explained there's no such thing as a typical rural community at the same time their leaders must continue to build networks and break down barriers caused by isolation in order for those communities to grow and flourish. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about Governor Burgum's Reimagining the Rural West Initiative, please visit westgov.org initiatives. And be sure to join us next time when our guests will discuss the role of placemaking in the development of Western communities.